The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their Best Ball Mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season, and the highest scores at the end of the year win. The champion of Best Ball Mania last year drafted in June, so there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take a shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. All righty, welcome in for the Monday morning edition of the pod. Don't have a ton of stuff to talk about for a wrap-up of the previous week, doing the solo pod here. I am going to get into the Fitzmagic retirement, if only to come at it from a little bit of a fantasy football angle, which I think can be interesting there. Uh, going to talk on a little bit of the Deshaun Watson, most reads and stuff. This comes out, I know it's a... A topic that I may have hit on a little too much sometimes at times, but um, I think it's an interesting one. So we'll, we'll talk that some, and we also have some good other information to go over about contracts and whatnot, maybe even some mailbag questions if I have some time to get to them at the end. And I also want to highlight that later this week, I'm going to tape an interview tomorrow with Josh Hermsmeyer. I think we may release it on Wednesday, where I'm excited about this one because the Conceit of the pod is going to be our five blasphemous NFL takes where we're going to put together takes that basically get us shunned, canceled, shamed by the media establishment, the mainstream NFL media establishment and uh, NFL football guys but takes that we very, very, very much believe in. And they may be a little bit out of left field, but then again, when you're coming at things from a different perspective, you can't really worry about that. You worry about having the the best ideas, not necessarily those, avoiding those that are going to get you shamed. And, you know, no one better than Josh Hermsmeyer to bring in to do that. Someone who, you know, not only does he not fear cancel cancellation, I think he thrives on it a little bit out there in the sphere. Plus he's been a little bit quiet recently. So we'll get some good ideas from him. I think you guys will enjoy a lot of that for what we have to talk about. Uh, follow up on some stuff that I talked about last week. I talk, I began the pod talking about the Njoku contract, everything that was going on there, how it wasn't an egregiously bad deal or an awful deal in my opinion, but it was something that it's just a lower probability of being a huge success, a huge hit. And we've seen a series of these from the Browns and I put into that sort of perspective. Uh, what I didn't touch on, which I think is interesting, is some of the second order effects here of the fact that he signed this contract. And that is we're starting to see this flow through today. And that is that Dalton Schultz is now saying he's not going to attend the rest of OTAs. 
Uh, you also have Mike Gasicki, who is with the Dolphins, who is also playing on the franchise tag. So all these guys were on the franchise tag together. Njoku, Schultz, Gasicki, and now with Njoku signing the contract, those other guys are looking at that deal. And if you look at the the numbers that you know they've had in their in their uh, best seasons, at least here. For Dalton, for Dalton Schultz and for Kasicki, they have, you know, a good argument for saying, wait a second here, you know, Schultz, you know, more of a full-time role last year, had 800 receiving yards, 78 receptions. Uh, how many touchdowns here? Hmm, da, 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 da. Why don't I see? Why don't I see? Oh, this is advanced. I accidentally scrolled a little too far there. Um Eight touchdowns. I mean, that's a good number. Year before, in a kind of split sort of role where he wasn't running as many as many routes as as maybe you'd want for a full time player, but still, sixty three catches, six hundred fifteen yards, and four touchdowns. Nothing really before that. Fourth round player, so doesn't have a ton of draft capital behind him there. But still, he had a pretty good year in twenty twenty without Dak there for most of the season. And then last year had a really, really solid year and was one of Dak's preferred targets, especially when they started to shift the defense a little bit here to play against their stacked wide receiver group, or at least Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. He was very, very efficient and very, very, uh, on a yards per target basis, 7.8 yards per target. That's a nice, that's a nice healthy number there. Uh, especially for a tight end who's not going to be necessarily stretching the field that much. So he shows some athleticism, so he's been good there. And then if we look to uh, Gesicki, what he's done. So he's got 703 receiving yards and six touchdowns in 2020. And then 2021, 780 reception uh, receiving yards, only two touchdowns there. And not quite as efficient, although he was very efficient in 2020 when uh, Fitzpatrick, who we'll talk about a little bit later, was tremendously efficient when he was playing that season. This also was a good option for Tua Tungalevoa uh, along the way, but, you know, they have some new options, obviously, there. They're bringing in uh, Tyreek Hill. They have uh, Jalen Waddle, who looks like a pretty successful player there. Throwing even more money at Gasicki could be a little tough, but still, we're talking about guys who put up in the case of Kasicki, almost 1,500 yards over the last season. We have around 1,400 yards over the – I'm sorry, over the last two seasons. Almost 1,400 yards over the last two seasons for for Schultz. And then if we look at the last two seasons for Njoku, we have fewer than 700 yards total over the last two seasons. So it's really establishing not only something that needs to be matched in Joku's contract, but probably needs to be bested for these guys to feel like that they're getting a good deal. And what are the issues here when it comes to tight end? And this could happen with maybe safety a little bit too. When we talk about the franchise tag, so much of the NFL is negotiating against the franchise tag for these players. And I I talked about this a little bit last week that the franchise tag amount is just too low for tight ends who are, who are good because you're taking the top five players of that position and there just aren't that many great receiving tight ends, the type who are going to get big contracts in the NFL to set a strong baseline at that position. It's easy to get you know five players when we're talking about a cornerback, let's say, where you have two to three of them on the field at all times. You have tons and tons of players in that pool. So when you're just limiting yourself to the top five contracts to make that amount, 
you are really limiting yourself to a higher level of player. Uh, for tight end, you're not. For many, many years, you've maybe had Gronk um, and uh, Jimmy Graham, and then basically no one else was really putting themselves into that bucket of a really, really strong receiving tight end in that in that category uh, until we saw you know, Travis Kelsey and other comes around. But those guys are just really maybe not Graham as much because he was able to uh, get traded, hit free agency, do some other stuff to make some good contract. But if you look at the amount of money that, you know, Gronk or Kelsey have made over their careers for Hall of Fame level players and talents and huge, huge uh, values for their teams, not nearly as much as you would get equivalent for a wide receiver. And again, that all comes through in the franchise tag. So when these guys are negotiating right now, Schultz and Gasicki, and prior to that, Njoku, the franchise tag for a tight end right now is $10.93 million. That's it. Not even $11 million. And again, this is supposed to be something you're giving to a top-end player at that position. That's what it's supposed to be calculated for, right? You're supposed to be calculated for um, the top-end sort of player to give them a justification, a, a good justification for the fact that those players are not able to hit the market. Um, so again, let's look, versus this is the non-exclusive franchise tag amount that we're talking about here. So nine point three million for tight ends. Let's look at some other players here. I mean, kickers and punters are five point two million. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, obviously it's a lot less, but still think about that relative to it to a tight end. Safeties are a couple million more at almost 13 million. So again, they're a little bit of a value there, but I don't think they're as much of a value as a great receiving tight end um, at $11 million. The offensive line, you're up to almost 17 million. Cornerback, you're over 17 million. Defensive tackle, even the interior players on the defense because of guys like Aaron Donald and others who are uh, Fletcher, Fletcher Cox and others who are pushing up that amount, 17.4 million defensive end, 17.9 million wide receiver, 18.4 million linebacker, 18.7 million. It's like, how is that amount so high? Well, they're throwing outside linebackers in there. They don't have a differentiation on edge players there, which means that it's hard to negotiate against middle linebackers against that franchise tag. Another reason to maybe stay away from your off-ball linebackers in the draft is that you don't want to have to eventually down the road negotiate against a ridiculously inflated franchise tag because of people like Vaughn Miller uh, and Chandler Jones and others who are technically outside linebackers. So they're just a really low amount. The only thing that's lower than them is the running back at $9.5 million, but still that's a lot more of a hit to a team to say, we're going to have to franchise tag this running back for 9.5 million versus a top tight end for a million and a half more, in my opinion, for what sort of value you're getting from these guys. So as a team, when you're, when you're no negotiating against Schultz or Kasicki, and again, I'm going to take this team perspective because I think that's how most fans think about it. I want the players to make money. You know, this is not us against the world, but this is how a lot of fans, fa people are fans of teams more than they are fans of, uh, random individual players out there. So when you're you're in the team perspective here, you know, barring the fact that you may really need to use the franchise tag on other players over the next two years, but you know, at least as a credible threat to the players, especially if they've already been franchise tagged once, as you say, listen, we have you under contract for this season with no future amounts that we have to we have to give you for eleven million dollars and 
if we franchise tag you again next season, it's not a debilitating amount. The second season franchise tag is going to be 120% of what this year's number is. So it'll go up to $13.1 million. You know, not uh, unsubstantial, but not a huge, huge amount. Think about Njoku. He got $28 million guaranteed on his deal. So that's already exceeds the double franchise tags where those are also guaranteed. But again, you're not committed beyond one year. So he already has, you know, two and a half years worth of franchise tag amounts built into his guarantee there. Uh, They have an out the Browns after basically three seasons, but they'd be paying him almost 14 million a season in order to get out at that point. And that would be, you know, more than the two franchise tag amounts, of course. Now there'd be a third season there, so it's hard to figure out there. But still, you are, you know, you're slow playing this. You're not committed to anything. You're not guaranteeing more than a year in advance. Whereas for an Njoku, you're already guaranteeing a few years. You have options in there that are built in to kick in midway through his second. I think it's when the league year starts in his second season where you're throwing him another $8 million on top of the $12 million that you're giving him as a signing bonus. And you have low salary amounts, but those amounts that come in are going to give him a lot more substantial cash flow also initially in these deals uh, with more of a commitment where you're really not getting out from this contract for another three years, whereas you're not locked into anything for the Cowboys or the Dolphins for for another year with, you know, contract issues for the the Cowboys for sure with Dak's deal pumping up and, you know, 40 plus million dollars a year on his cap hit with CeeDee Lamb eventually needing to be re-signed with a bunch of players on the defense who are going to be superstar players who are need to be re-signed. You just don't know if you want to commit to someone like like Schultz. And I have a feeling that they'll probably just play him out on the franchise tag, especially as a fourth round pick, not a first round pick like Njoku and see what happens there. And Gasicki, again, they don't have the 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 Tua contract that's really going to be weighing them down. They're not sure exactly what's going to happen there. But again, they're not necessarily motivated to move quickly on either one of those deals. And this Njoku deal, in my opinion, probably makes it a little bit more difficult to get deals done for those guys because the amount has been established. The amount is healthy over the franchise tag amount that you would be your leverage. And they have been better players, more productive players so far. Maybe it's not as much upside as they are second and fourth round picks versus Njoku being a first round pick. Maybe not as much athleticism, although Kasiki is pretty athletic, but they certainly have been more productive. And I think we'll demand more money because of that. Right. Um, Fitzmagic. Let's talk about Fitzmagic retirement. And it's funny, like the outpouring of love for Fitzpatrick, not because he doesn't deserve it. I think he does. I think he did play in this gunslinger type of manner. Reminds me a little bit of like Taylor Heineke, how people fell in love with him for a little bit too, because it was like this undersized, not as strong of an arm, but playing with that gunslinger mentality and more marginal quarterbacks, I feel like should be doing that is not trying to what sometimes what you find for marginal quarterbacks is they'll try to like minimize turnovers at all cost in order to not get yanked from the game. But we've seen guys like Fitzpatrick who made a ton of money throughout his career uh, do well for himself as a former undrafted free agent, I believe. Um, 
do well for himself by playing with a little bit more of a of a style there. And he also endears himself to fantasy football players. And this is the first angle I want to I want to pick on here for Fitzpatrick is he's had a couple of just unbelievable moments here in the fantasy football world. First, I want to talk about from the uh, DFS perspective, anyone who remembers one of the greatest performances here from a team perspective and greatest games in fantasy football DFS history is week one, 2018. And this was Jameis Winston was suspended for the first two games of the season, four games of the season. My memory uh, fails me on this one, but for at least, at least the first couple of games of the season. So Fitzpatrick was going to be the guy uh, for the Bucks in this game against the Saints in the Dome in New Orleans. Uh, Bucks win 48-40, and look at some of the scoring in this, in this game. Uh, there was a double receiver stack with Fitzpatrick that ends up being the winning Millie Maker team, plus bringing back with Kamara and Michael Thomas on the other side. So what's great about this one is, Nobody believed in Fitzpatrick, which is kind of weird when you think about he's had some success, like racking up points in the past with some wide receivers. But anyway, no one was believing in this week one. He, uh, Fitzpatrick was owned in the Millie Maker that week, 1.3% of lineups. Uh, Mike Evans, 2.8%. So he was the other receiver that that they had there. And then the last option for the Bucks, 0.9% for Deshaun Jackson on on that team. So listen to this performance here from Fitzpatrick again, destroying and uh, helping enable a 300 point lineup here in, in, in the Millie Maker in total. So Fitzpatrick had 417 passing yards, 36 rushing yards, four passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. Just an unbelievable 45.28 fantasy points for Fitzpatrick. There he gets a 300 passing yard bonus. That on top of it. And what did he enable for his receivers? Well, Mike Evans, 147 yards uh, and a receiving touchdown on seven receptions. And Deshaun Jackson, 146 yards, two touchdowns on five receptions. Big numbers there. 30 fantasy points for 31 fantasy points for Evans, another 35 for Deshaun Jackson. And then the bringbacks were incredible too. I got to mention this, but obviously a much higher ownership amount because Drew Brees was there. This is the 2018 season. He ended up being the um, second, I believe, in kind of like MVP voting versus Patrick Mahomes uh, that season. So the bringback was was well-owned. Camara uh, was 33.5% of of lineups. He put up 46 fantasy points, incredible game for him with the receiving touchdown, two rushing touchdowns, 112 receiving yards and only 29 rushing yards, but nine receptions. So incredible there, uh, even a two point conversion there. And then Michael Tom was 180 receiving yards on 16 receptions and a touchdown uh, for 42 fantasy points. So uh, again, all these guys were hugely owned in this, in this winning lineup, James Connor, who was playing for, the injured, uh, actually, I don't know if it's injured. Was it 2018, the season Le'Veon Bell sat out? Maybe that was the season Le'Veon Bell sat out. So James Conner, everyone knew he was going to be the starter there. I've been successful in the past in that role. He was owned at 25%. Who else is on here? Uh, Jordan Reed, 12.5% ownership. Emmanuel Sanders, 18.2% ownership. Ravens defense, 20% ownership. That's pretty high for for a defense here that was part of this this winning lineup who absolutely destroying the, the Bills that week. But 
just an awesome, awesome game from Fitzpatrick. So that's something that's like seared in people's brains, seared in my brain, immediately thought, thought of that when it came from a fantasy football perspective. And it goes back further than that. You know, in 2015, when Fitzpatrick was there, again, playing with this gunslinger type style, playing with a style where he can get the ball to receivers, whether they're covered or not. There was such a thin distribution of targets in 2015 when Fitzpatrick was paying for the Jets. And he had Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. And it was one of the thinnest distribution of targets you could see here, and especially distribution of touchdowns between these guys. In standard scoring in the 2015 season, a uh, season where they they almost made the playoffs as in this Jets team, Marshall was third and Decker was 11th. So you have two top 12. Fitzpatrick supported two top 12 fantasy wide receivers. There's just not, you don't. that's like Aaron Rodgers type of stuff back when he had, you know, Jordy Nelson and... Uh, Randall Cobb or things like that. You just don't see that that often. And again, that was something where Fitzpatrick was making people very, very happy that season. He was a good player himself, but especially for what he's able to do for his receivers. And I looked even further into this where I looked at all routes run by receivers playing with Fitzpatrick and playing without Fitzpatrick. And then I said, how many fantasy points were they scoring per route run? And then I normalized it by, let's let's say like 40 routes run, like one game's worth of routes run with Fitzpatrick or without Fitzpatrick. What is their fantasy scoring like? All these different receivers that he played with. So I'm looking at guys who ran at least 300 routes with Fitzpatrick at quarterback and at least 300 routes without Fitzpatrick. Now, almost all of them have 300 routes without Fitzpatrick because he was a journeyman type who didn't play with him for too long. But there are a handful of guys who, with Fitzpatrick, there are a total of 30 guys who ran at least 300 routes with Fitzpatrick. And I'm going to tell you like how many points they scored, again, with or without. And a lot of these guys were scoring more points in your typical 40 routes run sort of framework with Fitzpatrick than without. And I think, again, that's why we we love him so much, especially on the fantasy football side. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, 22, averaged 22 fantasy points per 40 routes with Fitzpatrick, only 16 without in his career. Brandon Marshall, about 18 each. So even though he had that great season with Marshall, Marshall had some pretty high-end seasons elsewhere. He also kind of started falling off the age cliff in that 2016 season when Fitzpatrick was there. Eric Decker, 17 with Fitzpatrick, 15 elsewhere. And think about that. There's like Peyton Manning years in that 15 elsewhere, right? So higher. Uh, Mike Evans, about the same. Mike Evans had some absolutely awesome seasons and other places there. Uh, Andre Johnson, actually a little bit lower with Fitzpatrick, but again, he has some age cliff issues versus where he was early in his career. Devonte Parker, 16 fantasy points per 40 routes with Fitzpatrick, only 12 without Kendall Wright, 16 versus 14 Stevie Johnson, 16 versus 13 and so on. You keep on going down this list. Scott Chandler, 14 versus 10. Um, almost everyone is higher with Fitzpatrick than without and I think that is really why another reason why beyond the way he played, beyond the gunslingerness, beyond everything else they're here, uh, how great of an impression that he has, despite the fact that, you know, 2016 season was a big disappointment and a contract that he signed with the Jets. And he was people were kind of low on him. Then he went a little bit more into obscurity and he had this incredible end of his career, too, which you just don't see that often, although you're seeing a little bit more often players when they get really older, start to perform better. But think about this, in 2019 and 2020, obviously he didn't have much time last year in 2021 with the Commanders before getting injured, or at the time, 
the Washington football team before getting injured. But his best seasons, according to ESPN's QBR, which is an EPA expected points added based stat, his best seasons were 2019 and 2020. These are his seasons where he was 37 and 38 years old. In those seasons, now he didn't have the most attempts in either one of those seasons because he wasn't playing full seasons there. But in those seasons, he was fifth in QBR for 2020, and he was eighth in 2019. So it was like two top 10 efficiency type of seasons very recently, playing for the Dolphins, who had the worst offensive line in the NFL those two seasons, who were tanking in 2019 almost definitively, right? When he, when he came in there or on the end, uh, on the backside of a tank. I mean, Fitz was playing like a top five-ish sort of quarterback when he got replaced by Tua and then had to come back in for that magical pass and everything else that's happened there. So what an end to a career. I mean, just fantastic for him from a from a public perception standpoint, the money made standpoint. And I think he always will hold a special place in the hearts of fantasy football players because of what he has done. Now, with with the good, there also comes the bad. And unfortunately, this week, our cancellation that we're going to get is based upon a tweet having to deal with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So the most cancelable tweet of the week by Tyler Forness. I don't, I don't know Tyler. Tyler seems like a nice guy. He actually follows me. So hopefully won't unfollow after talking about this. Uh, writer for NBC Sports Edge, CFB, College Football, All Seahawks, USA Today's, Vikings Wire, Daily Norseman, Climb the Pocket. Um you know, never a great sign when you're writing for like five, six different uh, institutions. But his 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 tweet getting in on the Fitzpatrick news, uh, unfortunately getting canceled in the process. His tweet, interesting discussion point. Is it? Is it an interesting discussion point? But anyway, interesting discussion point. Ryan Fitzpatrick is arguably the greatest backup quarterback of all time. Should that get him into the Hall of Fame? <laughs> This is is whether or not Ryan Fitzpatrick should should make the Hall of Fame. Now, the fact that 9.8% of people here, you got, first of all, engagement. If you're going going for for engagement, it's not necessarily bad to get canceled for engagement purposes. 21,000 votes here. Um, 9.8% of people actually said yes. Uh, Who are these people? How many people are in Ryan Fitzpatrick's family? Uh, 75% of people said no and then has a unique argument. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, hopefully that doesn't mean yes. Another 13% of people fell into that category. So, it, it, and then, but the, 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 the retweet to quote tweet ratio on here, six retweets, 369 quote, quote tweets. Um, so, you know, it's not, not the most egregious cancellation. It's kind of like a fun cancellation. But I do think when we get into these uh, Hall of Fame discussions, we could come up with some pretty uh, ridiculous things here. Especially like, well, what does backup quarterback have to do with anything? <laughs> it kind of reminds me a little bit, although more egregious, of course, is when Peter King put uh, Cole Beasley, gave him a all pro vote at wide receiver uh, two seasons ago because he's a slot receiver. So to like fill out the three wide receivers, two outside receivers and a slot receiver, it's like, no, that's, that's not the point here. We're not like building a real team. You're you're giving Cole Beasley a second team All Pro for the fact that he got that one vote, um, where there are you know dozens of receivers who are more deserving. 
of being in that category. We're not trying to like build out the Hall of Fame with a backup quarterback, just like you build out the all pro team with a a slot wide receiver. So anyway, guys, when you think about a unique argument, think about an interesting discussion point, you know, maybe maybe think a little bit harder on that one before you actually put it out there. Otherwise, you will unfortunately be canceled. Sorry, you're canceled. Okay. Before we get to a couple more discussions here, we got to talk about Manscaped. Gentlemen, Father's Day is just around the corner. Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, which includes their signature Lawnmower 4.0, is the perfect bundle to tackle any and all old man hair from head to toe. This right here is no dad joke. Treat yourself and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. Get 20% off free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. And also, you want to get all the PFF information. You want to get access to my articles. You want to get access to the rest of the research that we have here at PFF. 25% off any subscription if you use code unexpected support this pod show your love here let everyone know that you are listening and hearing my uh ad reads and hearing my me drone on for 45 minutes here all by myself support the pod use promo code unexpected 25 percent off any pff subscription okay deshaun watson update again i've hit on this like a billion times in the past um as far as what's going on here but i think what's somewhat interesting about this one is the fact that we have Rusty Harden on the old radio and whatever. I don't need to play it. You probably saw it, what was going on with Harden. But I think it it brings up some ideas for other things that probably need to be talked about. So when Rusty Harden was on the radio, he mentioned a couple of different things. He had this sports radio 610 that he did an interview with where the happy endings thing is the thing that's going to get here. So he was kind of reminding people that, hey, just because a massage ends with his crude term of a happy ending, if it's consensual, if it wasn't paid for, explicitly wasn't paid for, it's not necessarily illegal. So he mentions that. And he also mentions as part of this interview, a part that gets a little bit underplayed here because it wasn't commented on as much, is he says, you know, just because you make someone uncomfortable during massage, it's not necessarily illegal. Now, of course, the things that were being uh, accused of, which is, you know, forcing or, or, you know, touching women's hands with his penis and forcing, you know, uh, moving their hands into it, doing all those sorts of things. Now, those are definitely illegal. So he's not talking about that, but he's just saying just in and of itself, making someone uncomfortable is not illegal. So those seem to be the two things that he's mentioning here, which kind of got off the rails. But I think, unfortunately, from his perspective, I think Harden obviously messed up here by making this a huge story in and of itself. But, you know, Deshaun Watson, by taking this very hard line about, again, he said during his interview, he has no regrets during his press conference, no regrets, never did anything to disrespect anyone ever, didn't do anything illegal. So no, that would rule out prostitution in this case. So if there was any sort of sexual activity that he is admitting happened, while he may say it's consensual, he also has to say it was not explicitly paid for. So it's just like, it just happened. You know, his 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 uh, sexiness just took over uh, these women or something like that. So that's a tough needle to thread for Harden. It's a tough needle to thread with the uncomfortable bit because another thing that came out 
during the last week is the fact that there's this text message from Watson to Ashley Solis, who I believe is the most credible accuser, licensed therapist, watch her press conference and other stuff. Uh, she was on the HBO special. So there's a text message to her where he says, sorry about making you feel uncomfortable in this text message, post-massage. Never were the intentions. Let me know if you want if you want to work in the future. My apologies. So he was asked about this as part of the deposition on the civil cases. Now, of course, he would never have testified under oath about this in a criminal case. It would have just been her word versus his. He wouldn't have to explain away the text message because he would not be asked to talk about it. But he is testifying in the civil cases because the criminal cases have gone away. So he's you know, feels okay going under oath and testifying here. So he has testified to this and he says, uh, why he sent, sent an apology. And Watson says, because she was teary eyed and I was trying to figure out what was going on. So I assumed that she was uncomfortable in whatever reason. And we talked about working in the future. And so I said, we can work in the future. Just let me know. And then I sent my apologies as whatever reason she was teary eyed for. So he's admitting under oath that she was basically crying at the end of this massage. I've had some people try to parse and say, well, it's teary eyed, not crying. Like, well, it's, it's tears, whether they come out of the eye or whether they stay in the eye. That's like, she, she was showing something emotionally. So you go to a licensed massage therapist, you make her cry <laughs> during the massage. Enough, obvious enough to you that you're apologizing for it afterwards. This is not a sex worker. This is a licensed massage therapist who works in sports massages. Like, how do we get from A to B that nothing happened here? And that's what Harden is like trying to figure out is to say, well, just because you make someone comfortable, just because you make someone cry, I guess, now that this information is is coming out, where uh, Tony Busby, the attorney for the accusers, is the one releasing this to the press, just because that happens doesn't mean that anything illegal happened. Now, again, illegal and ethical are probably on two different levels, but he hits that again. And then when it comes to the whole happy happy ending thing, he's trying to figure out how to position this as a willing, consensual sexual encounter that was not explicitly paid for. And this is coming out after there is evidence now that Deshaun Watson gave $5,000 to a Houston spa owner where multiple accusers are from that 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 spa owner. So the question is here is like, what is he giving her this uh, this money for? Uh, they've turned now to say that he's just a nice guy. That's what the, the spa owner is saying. Uh, there's been the most recent ploy, very cynical ploy, in my opinion, by his attorneys in this last say, thing, uh, in, the, in the last day or two to say he's supporting black businesses, kind of weaponizing the, uh, the, the race card there in a very cynical way, um, to say why, why he's giving this money. So, I mean, Hart is in a tough spot here. He probably just shouldn't be doing any any interviews at all. But the problem is Watson has just been so adamant about maintaining his innocence, maintaining he has nothing to regret, going with this hardcore strategy um, that he got put in a tough spot. He got put in a very tough spot uh, for, what, for what's going on here. So I guess we'll probably hear this week what the decision is on the case in the NFL. Maybe there's a delay because, again, a 24th lawsuit was filed, I believe, today. It's supposed to be filed today against Watson. It's someone who was known, so it's not like it's new information, but it's someone who's deciding to come forward again. And there could just be other women out there. I mean, I know there's been more than a year now uh, of talk about this, of being highly publicized. 
of gathering different testimony, different women out there. But let's remember there's like, you know, there was a woman who was interviewed by Jenny Vrentis, who's now working, a uh, reporter now working for the New York Times, who was at Sports Illustrated at the time, where she was just randomly calling people who work in the Houston area as massage therapists and found someone who had this kind of in, this inappropriate sexual misconduct type of a conduct um, experience with Watson, who's not part of the criminal or the civil lawsuits. So again, there could just be more people coming out. And whether someone who has any sort of hard evidence that would really jeopardize Watson from a criminal perspective, probably not. But there could just continue to be more and more a drip of people coming out there. And I've heard, and this is third-hand information here, so big caveat here, third-hand information here, that I have heard that when poking around, when people are investigating and poking around, whether it be reporters or investigators for the teams, you know, there's just a lot of people who kind of knew about this with Watson and aren't part of the, even the civil lawsuit perspective. They don't want to get involved in it, not worth to them. So there are additional women out there who, again, are just deciding not to come forward here. And if that continues to drip forward, it can look bad, you know, if they give Watson a two-game suspension or a four-game suspension or even a six-game suspension. It could end up looking bad if more and more accusers are coming out after that suspension has already happened, whether or not they would have to reassess what's going on here. And I think the important point is when we're talking about Watson giving, you know, $5,000 to this to this masseuse. And again, I don't think solicitation of prostitution is the biggest deal, but doesn't look great, right? Going on there, especially for someone who maintains his innocence and the fact he did nothing wrong. When you have him admitting under oath that this therapist was crying at the end of his uh, massage, when you, again, all these different things here, the word that we heard a billion times during his, during his press conference, introductory press conference with the Browns, whether it was from, Andrew Barry, whether it was from Jimmy and D Haslam in their in their press conference afterwards, whether it was from Kevin Stefanski, was comfortable. How they were comfortable with what they knew, and the more that we hear about these details here, I just don't know how that could be the case. Comfortable was the word of the day. I mean, you can hear it here. That got us comfortable pursuing a trade. That got us comfortable. With- it was just comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. They kept on saying that over and over again. There, um, that. It's becoming more and more clear that the comfortability is really from having their arms around the fact that there will be no criminal prosecution and that a suspension will come, will be handled, will be put together this season, and then they're just not going to have to really worry about it going forward. I just don't see there's any way you can get fully comfortable, at least, or comfortable enough around whether or not something illegal or gross misconduct happened in this circumstance, because I think it's fairly obvious that that something did. All right, everybody, I think that's all I'm going to hit today. You're going to be a little bit abbreviated. Again, I'll come back at you guys later this week to talk with Josh Hermsmeyer and some fire, absolute fire blasphemous takes. Go ahead and send me a note. You can also send me an email at kevin.cole at pff.com if you want to comment on the pod, if you want to drop a question I can answer in a future episode. I also check the comments in YouTube. So go ahead and leave some questions there if we want to uh, gather some of those to do a mailbag going forward. And then I also appreciate the uh, ratings and reviews that you leave uh, mostly at iTunes are the ones that I end up seeing there. So 
ones that you want to drop there for me. I really appreciate those and everyone going forward. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to the Ron Yurko interview from last week, please do so. Got great feedback on that. You know, was super impressed by Ron, even though I knew him, um, just how well he was able to articulate everything that's going on from issues in statistics and sports analytics generally to specifically stuff that he had done with um, with the tracking data. And he also mentioned sports science. We talked about sports science in there. I'm going to get someone on, I think, uh, sports science in a couple of weeks. I'm talking to uh, Adam Beard, who used to work with the Browns, actually, in sports science, who is now with the uh, Chicago Cubs, about having him come on a couple of weeks. That should be a very, very interesting topic to dive into. But until then, a little bit abbreviated version this week. I'll be talking at all of you later this week with Josh Hermsmeyer. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you then. 